Well, I want to thank all of you, especially Jason and Martin and Carl and Steve and Patrick in the session for inviting me back. It's a privilege to be here. It does feel like home. Uh, it's strange how um, comfortable it feels. I mean, we're standing out in the upper gathering hall and somebody we know walks across and it doesn't seem strange at all. It's kind of like, well, yeah, okay, what happened in the last few months? Nothing, okay. Um, it's very good to be back. Uh, we continue to be thrilled by all that we see and hear is happening here, many good things for the king and the kingdom. Uh, we uh, are delighted to hear those things. We continue to pray for you and think about you. I'll have more to say about that in a few minutes. Uh, we are still transitioning to the West Coast, um, and I'll say more about that this evening, but, you know, we went to be closer to family. We have been. God has worked that out. Portland is truly weird. Some of you know that Portland had uh, keep Portland weird bumper stickers before Austin, Texas had them, and uh, there are good reasons for that, and I'll maybe say a little bit about that tonight. Um, but I want to direct you to Philippians 1 now. I chose this passage because it seems to me, uh, I feel uh, that way, that we have a partnership in the gospel, and that's the title of my sermon that's taken directly out of this text. Uh, it connects us to the past, informs us about uh, the present, instructs us about uh, things into the future. Uh, the Apostle Paul planted this church on his second missionary journey. Uh, he came to Philippi. Uh, he went out by the river. That, that was a place of prayer there. There was a lady named Lydia there who got converted. Um, then uh, later he's in the, in the jail at Philippi. You remember this story? And uh, He's singing at midnight. I think he was singing that song we sang earlier, um, uh, Poor Despised, But I'm Not Forgotten. And, and there's several things in the first two songs that we sang. I think Paul would have sung that, yeah. Maybe that's what he was singing, and we just gotten that song back. Who knows? Uh, but, but a lot happened there, and, and when he writes this, he is in prison. That's certainly the case. Uh, probably he's in Rome. Uh, therefore, probably very late in his life, um, he's certainly in prison for Christ, as it says in verse 13. Um, uh, he's writing to a church that's having a disunity problem. I'll say some things about that. But more than that, he's writing to a people that are afflicted, uh, people that are in conflict uh, with the world, the flesh and the devil, particularly the world. And he's writing this to glorify God and comfort them. Um, let's pray and ask God's help, um, and then we'll have a look at God's Word, okay? Lord our God, uh, thank you for this Word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, you know that I want the special thing about today to be that you came among us in power and wisdom and teaching ministry, and that you touched hearts deeply. Um, I pray... Uh, that it'll be that, and not that I'm here, but that you're here. And I pray that your, uh, the spirit that inspired these words will illuminate them to our understanding, and you'll use a redeemed crooked stick to, to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Um, one more time, I want to remind you, we believe the Bible is the Word of God written, the only infallible rule of faith and practice. It's not man's reflections about God. It's not a bottom-up, oh, here's what we think. It's God's revelation to us. If 
By the way, I should have said earlier that about that you had a youth retreat this weekend. I, I saw Patrick on Friday. He was pumped. And so I hope you had a good weekend and uh, there will be much fruit coming uh, from that. Okay, Philippians 1. I'm going to read the chapter um, and then um, focus on verses 3 uh, through 11. But there's some things in the latter part of the chapter that are, that are important that I'll be referring back to, okay? Here now, the Word of God. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, This will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet Which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, 
I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your oppressors. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers fade. This is God's word, though. It will not fade away. It will abide forever and forever. So my theme is partnership in the gospel that uh, Paul mentions uh, in this text, uh, in verse 4 or 5. And a partnership is a relationship existing between two or more people to pursue a certain goal. Now, we've heard of partners and partnerships, tennis partners, golfing partners, uh, hunting or fishing partners, marriage partners, business partners, dance partners, 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 partners. But very rarely have we heard the phrase partnership in the gospel. What does he mean? And is it relevant for us? And if it's relevant for us, how is it relevant for us? Uh, It's in the original language a koinonia-ing in the gospel, a participation in the gospel, a sharing in the gospel, and I'll have more to say in a few moments about uh, what he means here. Um, In Colossians 1, as Paul starts that letter, there's some striking similarities between what's there and what we have here. And there's even one similarity between Uh, Colossians 1 and Philippians 1 and Ephesians 1, and that is that Paul begins the letter with a very long and very convoluted sentence. Um, It's kind of like, wow, man, you didn't learn grammar. Why didn't you put a few periods there and capitals to start another sentence? And it's considered a very convoluted uh, and notoriously difficult to structure passage, but I want to structure it under two heads. Uh, First, Paul's partners, and then in the last three verses, uh, 9, 10, and 11, Paul's prayer. Paul's partners and Paul's prayer that he offers for those partners, okay? Um, Let's have a look at it, beginning in verse uh, 3. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance or in every remembrance of you. It's, It's in the singular, so he's saying every time I think about you, you guys, I thank God for you. Um, it just kind of comes automatically. It kind of comes spontaneously. And in this Thanksgiving season, I want to point out to you that for Paul, it's, it's people for which he is thankful. It is not wrong to be thankful for food and clothing and shelter. And, and our first uh, pilgrim forefathers uh, were thankful for those things. So many had died in New England uh, prior to that first Thanksgiving They didn't take, nor should we take, food and clothing and shelter for granted. Um, But at the end of the day, the really enriching thing about life is not those things, but people. And I want to challenge you in this Thanksgiving season to think about people. To think about people for whom you are thankful. You might even tell them, like Paul is telling these people. And and go to them. You may shock them, you know. Good night. You can't believe that. 
came up and said he was thankful for me. She was thankful for me. And, and I think that's a good thing to do, and obviously following the pattern of, of Paul in this passage. You'll notice at the end of verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer uh, with joy. He, he's a man of joy. Excuse me, post-nasal drip, it's fall, you understand. Um, none of that in heaven. It's one of the good things about heaven that's to come. Um, he... Um, he has this spontaneous joy as well as thanksgiving when he thinks about these people. And uh, my dear wife was not in the first service until the very end, and I said something that I may get in a little trouble for, but that's okay. Um, um, let me explain to you what I thought. I've been pondering this passage for a long time, and I said, you know, what this is really like is sometimes I'll be in my study or somewhere, and I'll just smile. Just smile. And Sally will see that. Or sometimes I, I may go further than a smile and I may break out in a laugh. And she will say, what are you smiling about? What are you thinking about? Why did you laugh? And I'll say, oh, nothing. You know. Some of you guys have had similar things happen. And then in a Delilah-like moment, she will press forward and not take the, oh, nothing. You know, she says, no, really, what are you thinking about? Uh, what, what are you smiling about? Why are you laughing? And I might say something like ice cream or <laughs> food or, you know, something very spiritual like that, you know. Um, what Paul is saying here, I think, in verses 3 and 4, is that he finds himself in prison, in prison. And sometimes he thinks about the brothers and sisters back at Philippi. He just starts smiling. He just maybe even starts laughing in joy over them. I mean, if he could be singing and songs at midnight, surely he could be thinking about the Philippians. And, and I want you to know that I smile when I think about you and what's going on. And it causes me joy. Um to have been able to leave and lateral the senior pastor ball uh, to Jason and to have him standing in the midst of Carl and Martin and Steve and Patrick and to see what's happening here. It just causes me joy. It's a thrill. Uh, it's delighted, uh, del a delightful thing. And, and so I understand this passage. It makes real sense to me. Um, every Sunday we think of you. Uh, we know we're where we ought to be, um, but we think of you, and we miss you. Um, I started to come up here today and said, I want the full name and birth date of everybody on the music team. I'm going to buy you a ticket and take you back to Portland with me so that we can uh, plant a, a, a PCA there. I'll have more to say about that tonight. Um, but, yeah, I understand this. We think of you other times, too. Um, let me ask you a question. Do you have joy? The reason I ask is because lurking within the soul of every one of us, there is a rumple still skin or grumple still skin. You know grumple? You know him. Uh, he appears from time to time in most of our lives. And for some of us, it's a dominant thing, you know. 
um, do you have joy? And if you honestly would say, you know, I really don't have a lot of joy. You ought to read this passage. You ought to read this book. You ought to study the life of this man that could sing at midnight in prison, could have joy in the midst of affliction, persecution, uh, getting run out of town, getting beaten because he was doing it for Christ. There must be something available to all of us that would give us joy if a man like Paul could have joy. Now, the reasons for this joy and thankfulness, this smiling and and maybe singing when he thinks about the Philippians, are given in verse 5. And the reason is their long-standing partnership in the gospel. And I'm going to think of partnership this way. A partner is, first of all, a partaker, a partaker of the gospel. And then secondly, a partner is a promoter of the gospel. The partaker word actually appears in verse 7. For you are all partakers with me of grace. Uh, Paul had come to them, had preached the gospel to them, and they had believed the things he said. When he told them that they were bankrupt and had no righteousness of their own, and he's reminding them in chapter 3 about an imputed righteousness, a righteousness uh, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul had preached that to them and told them that their score on God's moral test was zero. And they had realized it. And they had seen that Jesus scored 100 on God's moral test, and that he would go into God's grade book and put the 100 there and credit it to their account. And they loved it. And they embraced it. They embraced it from the heart. They embraced it with joy. They saw in the cross that they are the ones that should have died. Because they were the ones that had done wrong. So they were partakers of the gospel. Lydia and the jailer and others and the church that was there. But these partakers became promoters. Because partakers are people that have been impacted in the heart. And they're transformed from one degree of glory to another. And they want other people to know the joy, the happiness, the forgiveness, the sense of security and significance they have to be in the hands of the living God such that no one can take them out of the hands of the living God. And so they became promoters, both locally and globally. They were doing it in Philippi, and they promoted, they they helped Paul. They supported Paul, and we'll show you that in a minute. They were personally involved, and they had strategic partnerships with other people who would do word and deed ministries in the name of Christ. Look at the text for just a minute. In verse 12, Paul says he's in prison, and it turned out what? To advance the gospel. The mission theme, the the impulse to be promoters of the gospel is all through this uh, passage. Look at verse 27 of chapter 1. Verse 27, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, what? Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's, those are promoters. They are standing side by side try, trying to promote the gospel. When, when Paul describes Timothy in chapter 2, at verse 22, he says, He has served with me in the gospel. When he gets to chapter 4, at verses 2 and 3, he says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true companion, 
help these women who what? Who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement. You ever heard of Clement? We miss him. But Clement labored side by side with the Apostle Paul in the work of the gospel. And then in chapter 4, at verse 15, when he, he says, I, When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only there at Philippi. So they supported him. They partnered with him as promoters of the gospel, the good news that the world needed to hear. If Johnny Johnson was here, and he said, somebody asked him, well, how do you feel about Faith Church? He'd describe it like this. He said, well, they stood side by side with me. The church has supported me as a whole, and individuals in the church have supported me with their gifts and their prayers, and I couldn't have done it without them. And that's, that's what a partner in the gospel is in this sense. Now, let's press on. I could probably make a sermon out of any verse in this thing, so we got to press on. In verse 6, in verse 6, it seems like a little bit of a flyer. It's like, well, why is verse 6 there? I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Um... Two things. One, if you look at, the, at, at verses 3, 4, and 5, and 6, Paul seems to have a little bit of past, present, future. Uh, he says something about the past, something about the present, something about the future. I think he's doing that consciously and intentionally as he forms uh, his uh, letter. And he says here, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So here's a, a strong note about what's going to happen in the future. But I think also, it's not just past, present, future. I think the reason for that is he wants to encourage them. Um, he wants to encourage them about God as the guarantee of their future with Jesus Christ. He wants to tell them in the midst of their persecution, in the midst of their affliction, in the midst of their troubles and fiery trials, Nothing will separate them from the love of Christ, to use the words of Romans 8. That God began the good work, God will continue the good work, God will complete the good work. You can count on it, guys. Nothing's going to snatch you out of the hands of the living God. And I think they needed to hear that. And I'm sure I, know I need to hear that from time to time, and I think some of you do. I've known so many people over the years that got to some point in their Christian life and they thought, I just can't go on. And the answer to that is, no, you can't, but God's in you. And His Spirit's in you. And the power's not your own. And the love is not your own. And, and God is destined you for glory. And you're going to make it. And that's what He's telling. That's what He's telling. And this thing, the day of Christ, Jesus, look at the end, excuse me, the end of verse 6, at the day of Jesus Christ. Look down in verse 10. Pure and blameless, what? For the day of Christ. Paul Paul was always thinking about the finish line. Paul was always thinking about the day Jesus is going to come back. I want these people to be ready. When Jesus comes back, what's going to happen? It's going to be a wedding. It's going to be a wedding. It's going to be a wedding between Jesus and who? His bride. Who's his bride? You. Them. The church is the bride of Christ. And he wants the bride of Christ to be pure spotless, radiant, ready. Paul always thinking about that. 
always thinking, but you read his letters, you read through the New Testament, the day of Christ, the day of Christ, the last day, when the clouds part and Jesus comes back. Do you think of the day, the day of Christ? Is that a driving force, a a correcting and directing force in your life? You know, things are not going to go on as they are every day, forever. Someday the clouds are going to part, Jesus is going to descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, the dead will, and Christ will rise first. You won't read that in the newspaper. You won't read it on your cell phone as a news item today. But it's more real, more relevant than a lot of the things we spend our time looking at. Are you thinking that way? Are you ready? Are you trying to get ready? Do you look forward to being the bride of Christ? Can you imagine that? Jesus wants to marry me. Jesus wants to marry you. Look at yourselves. A bunch of wretched sinners. Right? Surely somebody else Jesus will want to marry. Not me. Yes, you. Because he began the work. He does the work. He'll complete the work. You will be ready. Now press on. That's what he's telling us. Don't worry about this stuff. This present persecution you've got. I'm going to skip over the justification in chapters 7 and 8. You'll be glad for that. And I'm going to press on to make one more point of application before we go into the prayer. You will note that there's an extraordinarily deep relationship that exists between Paul and this church. Sally and I feel the same kind of relationship with you. Look what he says in verse 7, I hold you in my heart. In verse 8, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. In chapter 4, verse 1, therefore my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. I mean, Paul is deep with these people. Paul is deep with these people. Why? Because they're partners in the gospel. Because they have labored side by side in the cause of the gospel. If you said to me, well, why do I feel such a closeness to Johnny Johnson or Martin Wagner or Carl Smith or even Jason? I was chairman of the RUF committee that called him to serve at Samford. I knew, I knew Jason for a decade before he came here. It's one of the things I think made it such an easy transition, to be honest with you, is we knew one another, loved one another. Well, why do you have those tight connections with people like that? Because side by side... In the face of opposition and affliction, you served in the cause of Christ. Why do I still have a tenderness in my heart for the, for the work in Belize that, that David Breland and others are trying to, to renew and, and encouraging people to go? Because I've been there three or four times. It's a long time ago, but, but side by side, we were working for the cause of Christ. Why do I feel the same thing toward Restoration Academy? Because I was on the first board. And Anthony Gordon and I and others side by side for the cause of Christ. And, and Alton Hardy now out in Fairfield. I prayed for a PCA church in Fairfield for at least a decade. And one day, Alton Hardy walks in my office and said, Hi, I'm Alton Hardy. I'm going to plant a church in Fairfield. I said, Brother, I want to be side by side with you. I want to be side by side with you. And I want relationship with you. And the same thing about people in the Czech Republic and other places And that's why Sally and I have a deep relationship with so many of you. Because side by side, we labored for the cause of Christ. And God, God who's out for his glory more than I am, more than you are, who wants wants glory in faith church more than, than anybody else? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not me. 
as much as I want you to be a glorious church, as much as Jason, the session, the other staff want you to be a glorious church, nobody wants you to be a glorious church anymore than the Lord Jesus Christ because he bled out for you. And his reputation is on you. You wear his name. You're the people of God. And he's very zealous for his glory. Now, I want to move secondly, quickly, more quickly, you'll be glad to know, to Paul's prayer in verses 9 through 11. Uh, Paul is praying for them for, uh, um, in verse 9. This is my prayer, that your love, he's praying about their love, praying about their love. Um, he's giving them the credit they have some love, but they've had some disunity uh, issues in the church. As we saw, these two uh, ladies in chapter 4 were having a, a, a dust-up about something, we're not sure what. And there's some other signs in this letter that were, were unity issues at the church at, at Philippi. And, um, and listen, I, I've said this before uh, to people that know me, but some of you don't know me from Adam's house, Cat, and that's okay. Um, love is not just the icing on the cake. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13, he said, If I have the tongue of men and angels, if I have all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to move mountains, and other things, he said, and I don't have love, I'm nothing. Nothing. He doesn't say, like we read it, I'm less than I ought to be. He says, if I don't have love, I'm nothing. Absolutely nothing. A zero with the circle removed. Nothing. And so it's, it's not surprising that he would go to prayer here, this essential thing, and in the face of the, of the disunity problem. At the church at Thessalonica, uh, he had told them, and I'll very quickly uh, show you this and read you this. It's a, it's a fantastic uh, comparison between 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, he tells them, look, finally then, my brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to live and to please God, just as you're doing. He said, you guys are doing a great job of living and pleasing God. I mean, it's an amazing thing. Just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Don't, don't rest on your laurels. Don't quit. Don't fold your arms and twiddle your thumbs and just wait for the second coming, okay? He says, I want you, you're living to please God, but do it more, than, more and more. So then when he gets to second, the second letter to the church at Thessalonica, he says, um, your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. I'd love to hear that about Faith Church. Jesus would love to see that in Faith Church. Paul wanted to see that in the church at Philippi. So he says, look, I want your love to abound more and more. Don't be content with where you are. Jesus is worth all the effort, all the glory. Don't be content where you are. I want, you to, I want your love to abound more and more. But not a heart-only love. It's a combination of heart and head he gives here. It's not a sappy love, but it's an informed love. I want your love to grow in knowledge and discernment. Knowledge and discernment. I could draw that out for a long time, but I won't, won't do it. He's saying, look, I want you to love in accordance with the knowledge that you have, the truth that I'm revealing to you from God and that you have in the Old Testament as well. And, and what you know about the gospel and how the gospel informs your living with one another and discerning, perceiving clearly to understand the real nature of things. And, and there's a lot we could 
do with that, but we won't, okay? Now, there are three purposes that he gives for that prayer. His prayer is there, love may abound more, more and more in knowledge and discernment, and he gives three purposes in verse 10. The first one's what you might call the immediate purpose, so that you may approve what is excellent. We're always making this, uh, assessments or judgments or determinations of good and bad, right and wrong. Here, he says, I want you, I want you to approve uh, what is excellent. I don't want you just to approve what's okay. I don't want you to approve what's just all right. I want you to approve what's excellent. I don't know how many times I've said in this church that the good or the okay is the eternal enemy of the best or the right, or in this case, the excellent. You can fill your life to the brim with doing things that are okay and miss the excellent things. There's really nothing wrong with reading the newspaper, watching the morning show on TV. Are you reading the Bible? Are you reading the Bible? Do you know the Bible? Are you growing in your knowledge of the Bible? You say, that sounds like a preacher's trick or comment. Well, I don't know. Let's think about this. Um, what's excellent? I don't care if you watch the morning news. Some people need to do it and be aware and pray and uh, evaluate uh, from where I come, the left slant of the news, <laughs> maybe here too. Um, but if you're not in the Word, if you're not praying, you're not praying for Jesus. If you show up to, uh, for Jesus to show up at worship, if you come here expecting to hear the Word of God out of Jason's mouth and you don't pray for him during the week, really? Why would you expect that? Would you expect the elders to have wisdom to lead you and you don't pray for the elders? Would you expect the staff to know how to um, administrate, develop, administrate a program that will lead you closer to Christ and you're not praying for them? The excellent things. Christ in his kingdom. Live in the light of that last day. What will your regrets be then? What will your regrets be then? And work to overcome them now. So his immediate purpose is that they might approve what is excellent. Their final purpose is that they might be ready for the day of Christ. I've already talked about that, pure and blameless as the bride of Christ. Uh, he wants them to pursue as being as sanctified as they can. And then the higher or ultimate purpose at the very end, the glory and the praise of God. It's really for the glory and praise of God that the bride would be beautified. I defined a partner earlier as a partaker and a promoter. Are you a partaker? Are you a partaker? Have you put your faith, have you entrusted yourself to Jesus Christ? Knowing your need. Knowing that he's the only one that can forgive you and remove your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. Are you a partaker of the gospel? And secondly, are you a partner? Do you want deep relationship? Do you want fulfillment, happiness, joy? Be a promoter. Be a promoter. You'll find as you get side by side with others in the cause of Christ, you'll find as we focus on, on, on promoting the king and the kingdom, 
that the, those you're side by side with will become very dear to you. And the relationship for which you were made and the relationship for which you long will come as a byproduct of the mission and the ministry and the service for the cause of Christ that you carry out. And I want to urge you to do that. Um, when Sally and I think of you here, we smile. Uh, we're thankful. Um, you're very dear to us. All the things he says here we feel are true, and we know that many are true of us toward you, and, and we know many of you um, feel that way toward us. Some of you laid your eyes on me for the first time today, and you think, who is this buzzard that's preaching today? And, um, and that's all right. I mean, you know, you've come to faith uh, church since uh, we left, and, and that's just the way it ought to be, and I hope your number will be legion, okay? But I want to urge you to have the same sort of relationship with others who are laboring side by side for the cause of Christ. That's God's will for your life. I don't know all the details of that, but speaking from 30,000 feet, I know that's God's will for your life. It will honor Jesus, and it will give you the deep relationship that you're made in the image of the triune God, the social image of God, made for relationship. You will have relationship then as you focus on the king and the kingdom and ministry. Um, thank you again for the opportunity to come and to preach and to renew dear relationships, um, may God be with you. And we think of you and thank God for you upon every remembrance of you. That's really true. Let's pray. Lord, um, someday you're going to come back, and you're going to come back for Faith Presbyterian Church and countless other churches around this globe. I pray that Faith Church will press on to be an even more beautiful bride than they are today. I know, Lord Jesus, they're very dear to you. We're about to uh, um, observe this sacrament of your, your body and blood. And this sacrament shows that you love Faith Church and countless others. And I pray you'll continue the work that you've begun in Faith Church until the day you come back. And you'll get much glory for your name. And these side-by-side relationships will give people uh, the, uh, the uh, relationships for which they long. And I pray that because I'm bold to pray it because I'm in Christ by your grace. Amen.